filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. on uh june 24th and my friend sean who i've known for 21 years now uh we met as freshmen in college because we were both aging uh rapidly um even though actually we're just aging with the same speed everyone else is but it feels much more when you when you hit late 30s it feels like you are aging faster than everyone else it becomes less as a less a graceful thing and more just uh aging yeah (laughs) um but uh, Down the he, mountain. Informed, he informed uh, the group that tonight is his 15th anniversary. Um, and while everyone else was like, hey, congratulations, a couple a couple of my college friend group were like, that also means this is the 15th anniversary <laughs> of like one of the most unhinged nights of drinking for the rest of us. Um, <laughs> because Sean uh, got married, conducted himself uh, like an adult and a gentleman um, and did a great job being a groom and not doing anything too stupid to ruin his wedding day. Um, But the rest of us uh, (laughs) were certainly uh, absolutely unhinged in ways that I can't even begin to talk to on this, talk about on this podcast. So all I will say is that uh, on that night uh, I was bitten. Um, (laughs) I, at one point uh, had good reason to offer, this was a a weekend trip uh, to the Eastern shore I had packed extra clothes. I had good reason to offer someone a spare pair of underwear. And this person slapped my hand away dismissively and continued in the fashion that they were uh, continuing in that necessitated this offer. Um, And then the next day, all of us had to go to like the nice day after wedding luncheon kind of thing um, where everyone is, is like calm and together. And all of us were just barely able to get through it without throwing up. Of effective it was like the be- the best we could offer uh anyone there so my wedding many years ago not 15 mm-hmm. years ago but almost as many uh was a noon affair and had it been scheduled any later in the day i think that may have been how it would have gone because my wife and i got reputations in law school where we met for throwing great parties and people just like it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. People were ready to get rowdy and have a good time. And they would <laughs> no matter what we did. Mm-hmm. And so at our wedding, it you know, the, the wedding let out at four and we went to the or the reception let out at four. We went to the after party. This was all in D.C. And the bouncer at the bar for the after party said to a friend of mine, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. We just opened. I just stepped out the door and I can't let you in. <laughs> you are overserved. <laughs> already uh because she had fallen into like the valet sign okay and knocked it over um so yeah i can see how a wedding could could get to that point this was this was the first wedding of any of this group of people uh and we were told mine was not (laughs) oh see we were told in advance one that there would be an open bar uh and two that because of the circumstances of who else was attending 
literally if you didn't show up with a date there would be like no single women to to meet and dance with or anything like that so it was like well i guess there's no one to behave for um <laughs> is the 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 attitude that a lot of us took and uh yeah people were drinking like one person who i'm not going to name managed to get served one entire pint glass of just bourbon <laughs> um managed to talk a bartender allowed this to happen uh i think life's a little different on the eastern shore uh you might find sure it's like sure sometimes you need a pint glass full of bourbon um yeah it was a uh an evening of lunacy uh people were leaving clothes at denny's uh as collateral because they didn't have ten dollars on them to pay their denny's that they got um <laughs> and also the, the person that did that uh, had been just detached from the group for like three hours we lost track of this person and then they arrived and all they had to ask was hey do you guys have like collectively ten dollars because i left my jacket at denny's because i couldn't pay the bill because they didn't have any cash and we had to literally because all of us had used our cash to tip the bartender for our misbehavior as um, you do and so we we had to scrounge together ten dollars so he could walk back through a biblical also a biblical rainstorm that night like nine inches of rain fell on the eastern shore uh this night it was a like the hardest rain i've ever been in in my life um all happened this same night so uh to sean a happy anniversary uh to the rest of my friends happy anniversary for surviving that night because some of us uh were were cutting it kind of close taking some risks hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united and wedding story podcast i'm adam taylor joined by jason anderson ben bromley is taking this evening off it's thursday night dc united just played montreal we are i guess going to talk about that for a minute but the main event tonight is a chat with rafnaboa e rivera from hudson river blue we're going to preview dc united's upcoming visit to nycfc watch that one uh sunday night 6 p.m a little earlier than usual uh on nbc sports net Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, and ESPN Plus, depending on, of course, where you are. You all know the routine by now. We're going to talk about Montreal for a minute and then get into NYCFC. Before we do, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so I went to the liquor store a couple nights ago, and inexplicably, I didn't even know this product existed. Um, but you know, if you've ever been to a Japanese restaurant, you've probably had a chance to buy the like can of Sapporo. That's like an extra durable can. Um, I went to the liquor store and they had regular cans of Sapporo and they were like, it was like a 12 pack for $13. And so Sapporo is nothing special. Um, I'll be the first to admit that it's a, it's a decent summer beer. It's not a bad option, but it's nothing special, but when it's priced competitively, when it's a dollar seven, a can. Yeah. When it, when it's priced competitively with like Bud Light, then sure. Why not? So I bought a 12 pack of Sapporo and that's what I'm drinking. Nice. Uh, I put a couple of Scotch rocks in, in a, glass and poured some uh 1-8 distillery district made rye whiskey into it it is high proof and delicious and it goes down smoother when it's cold so that's why the the frozen rocks are in there do you find the frozen rocks better than actual just ice it depends on if you want it diluted and honestly okay. this is this has got enough flavor and is high enough proof that diluting it isn't going to hurt it that much okay um, i'm I've always found the rocks to just be like, I'm going to have to wash this instead of with ice. It's just either it melts and it's gone or you dump it out and it melts on its own. You don't have to do any extra work. So for me, it's always been like, I don't want to wash some rocks. 
that that's fair i like i really like the flavor so i wanted to try yeah i I had the rocks in the freezer and i was just like "Eh, i'll do i'll try it this way Mm. um because i like the flavor of this rye so that that was my thinking um going back to wednesday dc united thoroughly dominated uh club de foot montreal in every way except the one that mattered uh, settling for a scoreless draw in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, because of course the foot boys can't play in their home no stadium. One, no one plays where they belong. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. Cause we'll, we'll get into that in the next segment too. Um, or in the interview with Ruff, because uh, it turns out NYCFC not playing in their home stadium right now. Uh, DC United had more than two and a half expected goals off of 27 shots. Actually, I think that total might be higher now because I'm pretty sure they're still shooting at Diop in the goal. And he is just lying there completely prone on the ground. And they're just hitting him with the shots because they eat or, or missing the frame entirely because that is how DC United's shooting on the night was. Um, Montreal was down for 10 men for the entire second half after uh player got a second yellow for an egregious handball that prevented a breakaway. Yeah, just a weird uh, choice. <laughs> some people called it harsh, but no, that's a yellow card every day of the week. Yeah. I don't know uh, why he did that. Um, no, it's it, but... kind of an explicable decision, <laughs> but uh, yeah, DC United unable to take advantage of the, the extra man to, you know, actually score a goal. Uh, one of those nights, maybe it's um karmic retribution for the one shot one kill win in montreal a few years back but um yeah montreal had like i think less than two tenths of an expected goal in this one so literally a tenfold advantage for dc united and they just could not get the ball over the line yeah and and like everyone knows what the problem is when that's when the game plays out like that like everyone knows what went wrong like if you're a child you understand the problem in this game is that DC couldn't kick the ball into the goal. Um, it really, you know, there's not a lot you can, you know, there is, there are some things we wrote about this on the site, you know, um, the idea of creating a different kind of chance might've been better. This is a game where Ola Kamara only got one shot and it was a shot from outside the box. Um, that of course, the way the game went, he hit quite badly. Uh, it was a shot that he sent into the stands and then immediately yelled at himself. Um, but yeah, if you're going to score, a goal in this circumstance, if you're going to get 27 shots, you would like to get um, your better shooters in better positions. And instead it seemed like DC did create enough chances to still get something somehow. Um, but there was a weird stretch of shooting directly at Diop in good spots. You know, Paul Ariola did had one like that. Um, Adrian Perez was maybe the most guilty of this in the first half. Um, yes. When when Team of the Week came out and Diop was named to it, I was actually kind of irritated. Like normally, I don't let Team of the Week or power rankings bother me anymore because spoiler alert on Team of the Week or Player of the Week, no one has time to watch enough games to vote on those accurately. So people are like, okay, who scored? Uh, who, who you know, if your goalkeeper who had a shutout, who had faced the most shots in getting a shutout? Well, that's the guy who um, went viral on Twitter over the like during the right. games people don't like there's literally the league does not give people enough time to sort these like I have the option to vote for player of the week and I don't because I just cannot watch enough games to have a reasonable vote um so yeah he shouldn't have been goalkeeper of the week in part because like the shots were at him these weren't even good saves which is pretty frustrating I will say the one on Ariola was a good save he got got across the goal quickly um there was a, a 
Kevin Paredes cut the ball back across goal to Areola, and he, you know, shot to the far side of the goal and Diop got across. It wasn't in the corner like it should have been, and it wasn't with enough power or off the ground, which also would have helped. But Diop did what he needed to do in that situation. Um, but he still he still had plenty of a chance but, to actually do yeah, that. And this, it, this Ariola is made thing. it a savable shot. That the, shot the shouldn't have been savable, and it was. Yeah, um, um, yeah. And I mean, he still did better than Kevin Paredes on his shot, which I don't it. even know if it went down as a shot because it he might just not completely scuffed it and yeah. it didn't go anywhere. Um, and that was the story of the night for DC United. They they created the chances and sure. just couldn't actually take advantage of them. And. I, I would rather be in that situation than the situation Montreal was in, where they had an eighth which we of have an a lot expected of goal. With. We know yes. that one. We've we've done that one. It's not too much fun. We've done that one against Montreal. We've done that one yeah. for years. <laughs> it seems uh, those games are much longer. Like when you are creating all the chances and trying, like obviously the uh, protagonist in the game. Uh, the game goes a lot faster than when you're the one sitting back and absorbing everything and things are happening to you. Then you're just trying to hold on in those seconds tick by very slowly. This game could have gone on forever. And I don't know if DC United would have gotten a goal. It just wasn't their night. Um, But when you're creating chances like that, eventually the, you know, I've read uh, the, the goals start to come and start to match the chances. That's the whole point of expected goals is on a long enough time frame. They actually do equal out. So we'll we'll hope that starts to happen this weekend against NYC. And uh, it's time to talk about that. Sunday, DC United visit another MLS team that's been displaced from their traditional home. Uh, Los Capitalinos head up north to play NYCFC at, where else? Red Bull Arena. Uh, Rafnaboa Iravera covers the Pigeons for Hudson River Blue, a site he founded, of course, but you may know him from his exploits on Jeopardy. Uh, either way, <laughs> either way, he has been kind enough to come back on the show as a guest tonight. So, Raph, welcome back to Filibuster. I am so glad to be on the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a Howe's New York Seltzer. Uh, I'm not familiar with that brand. How How is it? So, so it's obviously it's indigenous to New York. Um, it's like, you know, every big city has like their thing. How's New York is, is a New York city based brand and they do ginger ale. They do mostly seltzers though. Um, and they've got a ton of different flavors. I mean, like you've got your, you know, lemon, your lime, um, grapefruit, what have you, but they've branched into, um, a coffee flavored seltzer, a chocolate flavored seltzer. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I don't know um, if it's good, it's but not, it's interesting. It's right. interesting. I I prefer the coffee to um to the chocolate. And the coffee actually has a nice caffeine kick. So, you know, if you're looking for something to like caffeinate your morning and you don't want to go with like a Coke or a Pepsi or something like that, then that's your go to right there. All right. I may have to try that next time I'm up in the city. Yeah. Uh, the city is not where the game on Sunday will be taking place. I mentioned no, it's it at Red not. Bull Arena. <laughs> Harrison, it's happening New Jersey. In, what is going on? Uh, what's going on is that the – long story short, what's going on is that 
the pandini, the pandemonium, whatever you want to call it, um, the after effects of that caused sporting and really just event schedules to just go haywire. Um, as we all know, the Pigeons are a tenant in Yankee Stadium. They share it with the Yankees, right? And, of course, um, the Yankees are going to have pride of place at Yankee Stadium, right? Um, that's just how it's going to be. So if you're dealing with, like, a compressed schedule, you know, with the Yankees, and you're dealing with a compressed schedule in terms of, you know, MLS, then something's going to have to give. And the fact of the matter is, is that there is a very nice soccer-specific stadium very close to the city, relatively speaking, right? And that's where, you know, it makes the most sense to play. Now, is it fun for the Pigeons, for NYCFC to be playing at the home of their arch rivals, the New York Red Bulls? Um, no, because we don't have a tradition like, say, um, Milan does, where, you know, the San Siro is shared by Inter, Milan, by Inter and by AC Milan, right? It's not like that. So there's this sort of like very weird feeling to playing games at a home that's not really your home, right? Especially because New York City FC has really, you know, over the past few seasons just made a, um, a real strong habit of playing up the advantages of playing on the size field that you have in a place like Yankee Stadium, right? And so moving to an actual like soccer specific stadium, you know, it forces you to adjust your strategy, you know, how you play the home field advantage and home field advantage is just like a huge thing in MLS. So, yeah. So you mentioned, I mean, RBA is obviously a, a soccer specific stadium. I know, NYCFC has been searching for their own. I usually save this question for later, but since we're talking about it, uh, we, we are in the 30 to 60 day window when we might know whether something's happening. What's the latest? Well, the latest is that, regrettably, that decision is going to be punted until September. Um, New York City has, like every large city, Washington is no exception to that. The Washington equivalent would be like your, I think what are called the area neighborhood commissions. Um, advisory like, neighborhood commissions. Yeah, that's what ANCs. it is. The advisory. Yeah, the ANCs. Um, and so the New York City Good equivalent pull. are like your, um, the New York City equivalent are like your community boards. Um, and so what that means is that basically if you're going to be doing any kind of like major construction, um, any kind of like significant development, you really have to um, confer with the community boards. Um, and for a blunt, for mind-numbingly said set of reasons that I'm not going to get into for in the interest of time, both the Yankees and the elevator building owner, GAC Elevator, um, decided that they wanted to make amendments to the proposals on the table um, in terms of like redeveloping that specific area, which we all suspect is going to be dedicated towards the building of a potential stadium. Um, and so because we are now in summer, the community boards are taking basically two months to, like, just basically do whatever it is that those people are going to do over the summer. Um, they're not going to meet for two months. And so they're basically going to take up the issue again in September, at which point that 30 to 60 day window will, God willing, hopefully kick in. Well, I, you know, as, as a, a fan base that's gone through our own interminable you know, our, our 
yeah. 40 years in the desert. Oh, um, yeah. We are. And, and like, this doesn't mean that we are rooting for you guys. Thank you. I mean, and like, let's be very clear. The 30 to 60 day window doesn't necessarily mean that they are at the end of that 60 day window that they're going to announce a stadium. I mean, like, that would be awesome, um, I suppose. But that's when the window opens. That's when the window opens. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I think we're still looking at about, honestly, probably another five to seven years, maybe, before there's like an actual like stadium inaugurated. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the reality. Yeah, I mean, you're dealing with New York City. I mean, obviously, we went through the same thing with Buzzard Point and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think people just need to like, you know, take a deep breath, get very zen about it and just, you know. If it happens, it happens. Rafa, I'm going to take it onto the field, um, wherever Woo-hoo! wherever that field may be. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I haven't. I have to admit, it's been a little while since I've had a chance to watch NYCFC, and unfortunately, yeah. since DC played last night, I didn't have time to watch it today. Uh, no, it's because okay. The MLS schedule is a nightmare for all of us this year. Oh, it um, is. But, it, you know, kind of a recurring theme. I see the team is on paper doing fairly well, but then I look at the yeah. last six games and it's like 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. There's every game's close. Um, they're all one-goal games or draws. Um, yeah. Where is this team right now? It seems kind of like, it. you know, beating LAFC on the road while down a man. I know that's a big result, but then there's also, you know, a couple of other, like a 1-1 draw against this year's TFC, for example. Uh, right. Not so good. Right. Um. I think what what I would describe it to, and you know, I've had discussions, I've had arguments with people, you know, over Ronnie Dyla and that sort of thing. And I, where I come in is that you just basically have to throw out last year. Last mm. year was just, you know, a one-off. It's sui generis. Like everything I, was I'm just jacked up. On board with that. <laughs> you know, like he basically came in. He was sort of like the third or fourth choice of that. Um, in terms of like being the new coach, right? Um, and then, you know, the Pandora happened and then it was just like, you know, he didn't have any time to like shape the team. He didn't have any time to like go through training, do the things that, you know, any new coach, particularly a guy like Dela, who is coming in just absolutely brand specking new to MLS right in terms of getting accustomed to the rhythms of the league and that sort of stuff so you really almost have to treat this season as like his first like actual real season right um and i think the team is is in transition um i think you're you're seeing the team sort of like move on from like say maxi morales you know he's in his mid-30s now i think he's um 35 you know and so what's going on right now is that just like inevitable sort of like very sort of scratchy transition that any team goes through when they're going from like their peak year, trying to like sort of, I don't want to say rebuild, but replenish on the fly and then sort of like hit another peak. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because CFG just does not have any patience for that. They don't have any patience for, for the team bottoming out or anything like that. So all said, I think Dial has done a decent job. Um, it hasn't been exactly a feast for the eyes, if you will. Um, and I think a lot of the games just feel a lot like the playoff games do mm-hmm. um, for NYCFC, where like you know they're trying to go ahead and score a goal, they're throwing everything they can, um, and 
at their opponents in the six yard box and then just nothing is happening. Right. Um, I think the last game against the new England revolution was just like really emblematic of that. You know, you had Maxi Morales with like a wide open shot. You had, you know, to jury with like a wide open shot. And then um, the revolution keepers is like a stone wall. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's just having like a worldy of a night Um, and, you know, great keeper. Not to take anything away from him, but it just a lot of these games feel like, you know, the teams get up for that. And then, you know, there's sort of like a nervous, like a mental sort of like block there where you, know, you sort of feel the team pushing real hard. And you almost kind of want to take them aside and you want to be like, yo, let's all just chill and like, you know, take it back to basics and see what we can work out here. So it's funny if you go to AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com. Yeah. Uh, the underlying numbers love NYCFC. Absolutely. Um, like top of the charts almost across the board. Yeah. And I think that this is like, I think this is like a luck thing, you know, like, you know, one of my favorite sayings uh, in all of sports is Sepp Herger, Herberger saying um, from the 1950s, he used to be the German coach. Um, mm-hmm. And he basically used to break it down like, yo, at the end of the day, you know, everything else is theory except for the fact that the ball is round and the game is 90 minutes long. Right. And so, you know, I think luck plays a huge factor in here. Um, and so I would much rather be having this sort of like rough luck at the beginning of the season, as opposed to the end of the season, because these things send, tend to like even themselves out. Right. Um, and if you're Absolutely. doing the shot creation, if you're playing within yourself and, you know, to use a cliche, if you're going ahead and you're executing the tactics and the techniques and the procedures that you drill on the field, then this stuff is going to work itself out and it's going to pay out in the end. Um, and so, you know, if that means that New York City FC is in fourth place, fifth place right now in, you know, in June and in July, but at the end of the day, you know, in September and October, you know, you're in second place. Absolutely. You'll take that trade any day of the week. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. And I hope DC United fans are listening to that because the uh, team yeah. that's right behind <laughs> NYC on a lot of these metrics, oh, uh, is, at is least DC in the Eastern United. Conference, is DC United. It's DC United. Uh, and, and, and I think I'll, I'll be the first to say that Hernan is doing a ton of good stuff with the team, right? And it's going to pay off, right? You got to have faith that it's going to pay off. Right. This guy is sharp. He knows what he's doing. Like, look, I'll be the first person to say that when New York City FC hired Ronnie Dyla, I was just like, really? <laughs> um, you know, there, there are other coaches that I was looking at. Um, the, the guy, the Celtic hired, Anja Postacoglu, mm-hmm. um, was a guy that I was just like, I was really hoping that, you know, if you're going to cast a the kind of wide net that leads you to land on Ronnie Dyla. I was really kind of hoping that that net would have included Postacoglu because I think Postacoglu would have been amazing as an NYCFC head coach, but what else, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dyla is, you know, he's a good coach. Um, he did great things with Celtic um, and he plays, you know, front foot, you know, offensive soccer. So, you know, hopefully that works out. But Anand Losada is another guy who, also plays that way. And I thought he was, look, when DC United hired him, I was really, really stoked because this is a dude that if you give him time and if you give him, you don't even need to shoot the money cannon. If you give him the kind of players 
that he needs, he's going to come good. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I'm uh, I'm a little bit in the tank for Anon right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, no. And I'm, I'm completely in trust the process mode, especially this early in the season when uh, yeah! the process matters more than the results. Yeah. But, but going back to, to NYC, um, what is it exactly that Dyla is trying to do on the field? How is NYC going to attack? How are they going to defend? What's, what's kind of their the center of their theory of play. I mean, I mean, I think you're looking at he's oscillated um, earlier in the season. You know, there were a couple, there were a few times when he went with like a four with a three, five, two, one with like a three, four, three, as he's trying to like uh, sort of like figure out what the team's strengths are um, in terms of formation. I think lately he's stuck to like a four, three, three, which is sort of like the box standard formation. Um, you see nowadays, and it's what um, NYCFC honestly have historically played as a four-three-three, um, and he's sort of gotten back to it. I think the big, um, the big hurdle there, honestly, has been injuries, um, and it's been lack of personnel. Um, and I think like a fully fit NYCFC playing a four-three-three, they're basically playing um, fairly. I wouldn't say like fairly direct soccer. Um, it's still very, it's still fairly possession oriented, um, but it's a bit more direct than what you saw with Toronto, definitely than what you saw with Vieira. Right. And it's very much on the front foot. Um, and he's definitely trying to employ the two wing backs. Right. So um, the two fullbacks, he's trying to employ um, Malta Amundsen, who was one of the guys who was missing earlier in the season, but now he's sort of like getting slipstreamed into the team. Um, and obviously Anton Tinnerholm on the right um, to move forward. And so that means that, you know, you've got like your six and then your two center backs sort of like anchoring the defense um, for NYCFC. Right. Um, and then, you know, a big part of it is also like circulating the ball either through the wings or you know, when you've got Maxi available and he's not injured, then you're going to see that a little bit more through the middle. Um, now, given a couple of the players that they've signed, particularly Tiago Andrade, I think, you know, as Tiago becomes more accustomed to life in MLS, as he starts getting more accustomed to um, sort of like the run of play, you know, and getting used to the team and his new teammates, I think you're going to start seeing him um, supplanting Maxi a bit. And like, it makes sense because like, you know, Tiago is, I want to say he's 18, 19, mm-hmm. um, you know, and obviously Moxie in, is in his mid thirties. So, you know, ideally you want to have him, you know, not run into the ground and ready for the playoffs. Well, Rafa, uh, since we're talking about the, um, you know, one of the newcomers, I just looking over these recent lineups, um, it's kind of yeah. striking to look at the whole team and to realize how much, NYCFC is making a move towards being a younger team that I don't know that maybe our, our listeners that aren't watching them every week might not realize it's not just James Sands. Uh, you know, no. Tavon Gray is playing. Andreas yeah. Jason is playing. Tati Castellanos yeah. is actually, I think, younger than most people realize as well. So how is oh, this team absolutely. doing as they, as they, you know, transition towards being um, more of a normal MLS team shifting towards younger players now? I mean... <laughs> The one word answer is that they're doing fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer answer is that, you know, a little bit of that spikiness, that scratchiness that I referred to earlier in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, 
luck coming into play, you know, not being able to convert those chances is I think a direct result of the team's youth. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and as you get more playing time, as you get more accustomed to the run of play, then you become more liable to exploit those chances when they come your way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a learning process for a team that's this young. And I think it makes sense that the team is transitioning to being a younger team because like every sort of like expansion team or like, let me amend that. Like every expansion team in a marquee market, mm-hmm. right. Um, you saw NYCFC do um, the whole like splurge on European stars. Right. And like, we all had a laugh about having Lampard and Villa and Pirlo and then incomprehensibly mixed screwed you know, on the field at the same time, right? The stars totally are the same to... class of players there. Yeah, yeah. The stars <laughs> are coming out to play, okay? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and so it is really just radically beautiful to see just a 180 into playing a ton of young players, right? Because I think what's going to end up happening here is that CFG, and there was actually an article in The Athletic, I want to say like last it, the, it came out of the off season, but basically talking about CFG and what CFG are trying to do is basically a modified version of what you see Red Bull doing, right? Mm-hmm. Where like Red Bull is going to develop a guy like a Caden Clark or like a Ty, Tyler Adams, and they're going to shift him around in their system. Right. Except that CFG is not going to go ahead and do that. Like I don't expect really a guy like, you know, Jason or a guy like, you know, Tati Castellanos or something like that to like, end up playing for Manchester city. Right. Right. Um, But like what Manchester city wants to do is if Tati comes good, right. If he becomes like a 20 goal, a season scorer, a 25 goal, a season scorer, or like, you know, a 15 and 10, you know, 15 goals and 10 assists kind of guy. Right. Then they can say, sell him um, for a tidy sum to a European team. And like the prototype for that is Jack Harrison. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So like, you know, they went ahead. Jack Harrison came good in MLS. You know, he got loaned out to like Middlesbrough. You know, that didn't really work out. Then got loaned out to Leeds United. That worked out. And now he's, you know, a permanent Leeds United player. Right. And so if they can do that with some of the guys, some of the young guys that they have, then that's all CFG is looking for. And so now you're seeing like, you know, Dyla really just push the front foot forward on that. So we, you mentioned Tati Castellanos. He yeah. had a nice scoring streak to start the season. Since then, it seems like the last few games, Ishmael mm-hmm. Tajiri Strati has kind of uh, carried the load. What yeah. What's the, the state of the attack right now, personnel-wise? I mean, I would say it's streaky. <laughs> it's streaky. And, and, like, but, and the, thing that, the thing to remember about these guys um, – whether it's Tati, whether it's ITS, um, back in the day, whether it was Hebert, um, when he wasn't injured and that sort of thing, is that these guys are all very streaky players, right? Um, and so what ends up happening is that, you know, as one guy heats up, you know, the locus of the attack moves on to that guy, and then, you know, the, the other guy, in this case, Tati Castellanos, then becomes sort of like more of a support player, setting up the assists and that sort of thing, you know? Um, I think a big part of that, honestly, has come because of injuries, right? Um, I think it was very clear that, 
you know, Hebert was sort of like the focal point of the attack. And since Hebert got injured last season, that's sort of become a striker by committee sort of situation. Um, in an ideal system, Hebert would be sort of like, I don't want to say the target guy, but he would be the guy through who which through which the attack would be funneled, right? Um, he would be the guy that would be leading the scoring and that sort of thing. He's sort of out, you know, that means that guys like IGS, guys like Castellanos have to shift from like being the assist guys to being the actual scorers. Um, and so that makes the, the attack a little bit herky-jerky, in my opinion. Uh, we kind of you, you mentioned um, Tiago coming in one of one of the new signings and the, the idea of possibly having to phase him in as Maxi Morales, who is like, I believe, 35 this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously they can't. This is a team that can't rely on him to just play 90 minutes all year long. Um, and so far it's been, you know, this last game against Atlanta, he played half an hour. So obviously they're, they're cognizant right. of that. They're not going to um, run him into the ground. Whereas in the years past, it almost looked like maybe that was the plan uh, to some mm-hmm. extent. So um, how is this team doing when they haven't been able to call on him? Cause we don't know at this point, whether he's going to play against DC as a starter or as a sub. So I'm kind of curious if they decide let's hold him for the last half an hour what are we going to see out of NYCFC for that first 60 minutes? I mean, I think what you're going to see is guys like Jesus Medina, um, you know, sort of like taking that responsibility on themselves um, mm-hmm. and really sort of trying to pull the strings of the, of the attack and that sort of thing. The problem is that um, Jesus is not a natural number 10. I think he's sort of like been shifted around and I feel bad for the guy. He's a very polarizing guy. Mm-hmm. Um, for the fans, because I think he was sold as sort of like this young DP, Wunderkind kind of player. And, you know, he didn't really come good in that sense. You know, you even had him playing as like an eight, sometimes even as a six a couple of times mm-hmm. last season. Um, and now he sort of like found his groove a little bit. Um, you know, as sort of like a hybrid eight ten. So he's the guy that you'd be looking at to sort of like orchestrate that attack. Um, and get the wheels going for NYCFC. Um, beyond that, you'd be looking at guys like Keaton Parks. Um, you'd be looking at, you know, Ismael Tajiri Shroudi has always been decent at creating. And Castellanos is as well, to be honest. So if there's one thing we know from Hernan Losada, it's that he wants to press. <gasps> and so something mm-hmm. I'm... I'm... He does adding adding to the the regular rotation of questions this year is how does your team handle a very high, very aggressive press? I mean, I think you. So historically, the team that's done that the most um, against we, NYCFC has been the Red Bulls, mm-hmm. um, and like obviously, you know, in the early years of of NYCFC, the answer would have been not very well. Um, yeah, I was I at think, the Red Wedding. I I got to. Oh, see I that. was there. I, I was there as well. I don't think anybody who who was at the red wedding will ever forget being at the red wedding. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, for me, not going to lie, it got a little bit hilarious towards the end. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to be afraid to admit it. I it mean, crossed the line into the absurd. Certainly. Hey, that's what I'm saying, you know? And like, I think at this point it would be really hilarious if you had sort of like a, a blue wedding and just like even it up. That being well, said, to get back to your question, I'm for um, that. By the way, against the Red Bulls, not against DC United, but against no, 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 against but the Metros, against the Red Bulls. I am no, for. No. I am for. No, no, that. I get 
it, it has to be against it has to be against yeah. the Metro slash the Red Bulls. Um, but to get back to your question, I think NYCFC now does okay against the press. Um, and then the way that they would try to um, to counter the press is by really trying to find space behind the press and trying to do overlapping runs, you know, over the wings and that sort of thing. You know, try to you know maybe even be a little bit more direct. Um, I wouldn't say route one soccer so to speak, but, you know, really just attacking more directly and trying to exploit, you know, gaps in that press and trying to get behind it. Um, that's a little bit easier to do when somebody like Ebert is fully fit, you know, when somebody like, you know, like you have a younger, you know, Maxi who's able to exploit that with his field vision. Um, but generally speaking, they do okay. So if you were, um, if you found yourself across from Ronnie Dyla having to game plan against NYCFC, what would you be focusing on? What would you be trying to take away from them? What would you be trying to exploit? Um, I would, honestly, I would try to be, I would try to force them into mistakes. I know that sounds very banal. Um, this is not because of their youth, um, because they're playing younger players. You really want to force them into errors. And I, that's where like the press really comes in, right? Playing that really hard, really aggressive press. Um, comes in and so what i'm really hoping is that they've drilled that you know in terms of like you know just hanging on to the ball not not trying to force things against a press being patient in playing against it but honestly that's what you want to do against a team like nycfc with young players right you know you have that very aggressive press you know very early on you know really from the start and you try to force the mistakes um so that you go ahead and create scoring chances off of those opportunities. All right. We'll see if DC United can do it this Sunday night. Rafnaboe Rivera covers NYCFC for Hudson River Blue. Thanks again for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's always a good time, man. Tell our listeners where they can find you if they don't happen to follow you already. So if you're not already reading Hudson River Blue and you're into New York City FC, whom we call the Pigeons, but this season we may well call the Wanderers. Um, you can fi- you can find me on Twitter at at Naboa. That's N as in Nancy O B as in boy O A. I am on Twitter. Um, you can go and Hector me there. Um, I've written elsewhere, but you know these days I try to keep it in the family at Hudson River Blue. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Tell them about, you know, when when you're tuning in to the game on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Mention to your friend where you got all the info on NYCFC, and it's right here on Filibuster. For Jason and the absent Ben and thanking Roth one more time, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Black and red united, not red and black united.